Watch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Got him! 20 strikeouts! He ties the Major League record. There it goes! See ya! I don't believe what I just saw. And he's out by five feet at the plate. And that was the worst base running in the history of the game. Fly ball, left field, and deep. It's way back! The Tigers are going to the This week on The Clubhouse, Anthony and I continue our conversation with attorney Charles Sheeler. You can find part one of our chat with Charles by subscribing to the show on iTunes. In last week's episode, Charles shared his love of the Baltimore Orioles with us. But now, it's time to dive into the deep end of performance-enhancing drugs. There is no one more knowledgeable on the subject than Charles, who was lead counsel to Senator George Mitchell in the investigation into steroid abuse and baseball. Anthony and I also finish up our first baseball trip of the season. We will be visiting several stadiums this summer in an effort to complete Anthony's 30-stadium checklist. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast to hear our final thoughts on Nationals Park and Camden Yards as we ride the train back to New York. This episode was recorded at the offices of DLA Piper. We join the conversation in progress discussing Baltimore Orioles first baseman Chris Davis and his 2014 suspension after having a career year in 2013. Joining us in the clubhouse, Charles Sheeler. Well, so you, you bring up Chris Davis, which kind of a sore spot for me, mainly because he stood in the way of the great Miguel Cabrera having back-to-back triple crowns, <laughs> uh, which he was well on his way to doing. And that kind of now leads me a little bit to your day job and what you do when you're not uh, an Orioles fan. And so uh, Davis, we all saw, got got suspended for, was it Adderall? Or it was Adderall. It was Adderall. Right. And that's for like fast twitch thing, like response, kind of like speed, correct? It's sort yeah, of like, it, yeah, it's sort of like speed. I mean, it is a much used uh, drug by everybody yeah. in society yeah. today. Yeah. And it, it's generally prescribed for... Um, uh, ADHD. Yeah. So, and if he had if he had had a doctor's prescription for it for having ADHD, would it have been permitted under the rules? It would have. As a matter of fact, this year he does. Yeah. They're, they're called the technical term that baseball uses is TUE, therapeutic use exemption. And last time I checked the statistics, there's over a hundred major league baseball players who have uh, exemptions for ADHD. Yeah. So I mean, that is a drug like any drug. That can be abused if it's not properly prescribed, but I but a lot of people do get it prescribed, and for a lot of people it is appropriate. I have no idea what Chris Davis's circumstances, of course, of course. are, but I do know that he now has uh, a TUE because that's that's been made sure. public. Sure, sure, sure. So, before we get too deep into this, I just want you to uh, kind of explain to our listeners a little bit, kind of some of your background of of your uh, history of working back even in 2003 with the Mitchell Report and through A-Rod and, and just kind of just a brief overview of kind of how big of an impact you have had on Major League Baseball because it is a pretty, pretty large impact. Sure. So in 2006, you'll probably remember there was a, a, a book published by two San Francisco writers called Game of Shadows. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. All right. And, and that was about Balco and Victor Conti and um, supplying bonds and and a number of other players and and not just baseball mind you but 49ers and olympic athletes uh-huh. and so on that yeah, they, they were like track and field absolutely yeah, track and field. absolutely and dana stubblefield from the 49ers and, and and others 
So, um, and, and actually a number of people got suspended from the Olympics that yep. were rising yes. out of that. Um, as a result of that and congressional hearings the prior year, Bud Selig went and approached George Mitchell and asked him to do an independent investigation to see how prevalent steroid use was and what they ought to do about it. And, <laughs> and, and this is, you know, I, I, I honestly believe that, that Selig did this while I was initially skeptical. I think he did, he, he did it because he wanted to preserve and change his legacy. He knew there, there would be a, a stain. And so he, he got to the party a little late, but once he got there, he was, uh, he was all in and, and he, he remained all in. So, um, Senator Mitchell uh, hired me to be his his counsel, and, and over the next 19 months, we um, interviewed over 700 people. Uh, and that's also that's former players, executives. former players, former players, former coaches, former executives, former trainers, and and current management. We we interviewed very few current, current players. players because the union prevented us from doing so. How could uh, they do that? Well, there you know. The baseball subject to a collective bargaining agreement. Sure. We were hired by management, but we had to follow the rules uh, of the collective bargaining agreement. Yeah. And those rules said that the players weren't required to be interviewed by right. us, but it was voluntary. And virtually every player um, refused to, to, to be uh, interviewed. Jason Giambi did, agreed to be interviewed, and Frank Thomas did, but, but not many. But yeah. not many. Yeah. I would assume, and you may not be able to answer this, but I, I would assume that would be through some gentle, gentle suggestions from the players' union of, hey, we're all going to stick together on this. And guys like Frank Thomas, because Frank was from day one, even in the late 90s, was a very vocal, you know, uh, outspoken against. Because that dude was just built like a horse. Like, you know, from, from day one, he was just such a thick, huge guy that he, I think he wanted to get out in front of it and be like, listen, I, this is, I'm built like an ox. None of this is is fake. And he gets, you know, he, he I know, during his Hall of Fame uh, induction uh, was just not very happy about the steroid guys. And so I can imagine why he and Giambi would speak. But then do you think a lot of the other players were... But Giambi spoke because he owned up to it, right? Or, he, uh, he owned up to it. Yeah. yeah. So, but the other players, do you think that there was kind of a, hey, all for one, we're not going to turn on each other type? type. Right. There was, well, there was a very, very clear mentality. What happens in the state clubhouse stays in the clubhouse, yeah. right? Oh. You've got 40 males <laughs> all together traveling around... Um, for about eight or nine months a year, and it's a very close fraternity. And so we really discovered there was this culture of silence. Yeah, yeah. Now, Frank was an exception to that. His, his point of view, which is the one we thought was right, was, look, um, Frank's like, I'm a victim of this because I'm not cheating, yeah. and others are getting an unfair advantage by cheating, and the only way I can get that advantage is to put my body at risk, and I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So, but he was clearly the minority at the time, but I think I think the attitudes have changed over the last several years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there's a lot of guys that, that have flat out, I think actually Scherzer is one of them, but several guys have flat out said, oh, yeah, no, if, if they're cheating, we, we they need to get out. They've even spoken out, not against the union, but broken kind of out of line of not being in lockstep and saying, oh, yeah, no, especially during uh, with with the Ryan Braun fiasco and all that. I saw a right. lot of players coming out against him, which was a refreshing change of pace. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I, I I understand the the all for one, one for all. You know, I understand wanting to keep some sort of unity and protect, mm -hmm. you know, your your brothers in arms. But I mean, at the, at the end of the day, 
you are absolutely obliterating the the legacy of this sport. And you know, it's sad that it took Steel League that long. I mean, now do you? Once again, you might not be able to answer this, but do you think that it really took Steel League that long? to realize or just that long to do something about it because i know the you know a lot of people think that he knew in the 90s that the owners knew in the 90s that a lot of the writers knew in the 90s but just nobody can look at mcguire's body and not know something was weird well we talked about in this in, in our report and and i think what it was there was a lot of willful blindness ostrich putting his head in the sand going on you got to put this in economic context by which i mean you remember you had a strike in the early 90s which really hurt baseball financially the fans did not come back after that for a while but then two things happened one was cal ripken's streak and the second was the incredible 1998 home run race between mcguire and And sosa Sosa. and boy did that put fannies in the seats um and so you know, I think early on there was this um, hesitation on, on, amongst the owners is, you know, if we do this, are we killing the golden goose? Right. Because all these home runs um, were popular. I mean, yeah. there's no denying that. Sure. So, you know, we say the, the owners look the other way and Seelig look the other way. And that's true to some extent. I mean, for crying out loud, a Associated Press guy saw um, some glucosamine, I think it was, it was some substance that was in Mark McGuire's locker. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And, and, and what about the Caminiti? Uh, Cam- Cam- and Caminiti with the, with the uh, uh, Tom Verducci story yep. in, the, in, the, in the early 2000s. But, hey, hey, so did we. I mean, look, we saw Sammy Sosa with those Popeye arms. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and so it's hard for me to, to, to blame anybody yeah, else yeah, yeah. when we were all complicit in the same conspiracy. Absolutely. And when when did when did the actual like I know the the rules have gotten tougher and tougher and tougher in very recent years, but uh, when did things actually start being banned? So, well, they have always been illegal. Okay, okay, because but, just they're they're not but, even on the market, right? Or right, they're, it, they're it ill- has yeah. always been it's illegal contraband. for a baseball player to use an illegal drug uh-huh. to enhance performance, but there wasn't testing and there wasn't explicit yeah. penalties. Yeah. Two thousand and three was the first year there was testing. And 2005 was the first year that there were actually penalties built in. Yeah. And, and now they've, they've continued to ratchet up the penalties, number yeah. one. And number two, also very importantly, the frequency of the testing and in particular the off-season testing. Because yeah. it used to be even when they had testing, the off-season was sort of, you know, <laughs> still the Wild West. Yeah. But it's gotten a lot better. Yeah. And the testing is totally random and totally like, you know, how like is there any regularity to any kind of the testing or well there is regularity in the sense that all major league baseball players get tested but apart from that they try and have some randomness to it because sure. of course you don't want to advertise where you put your speed traps yeah exactly right yeah, yeah. so um, people can cycle off in time or whatever it, when it, also it, isn't it, exactly and once you've been caught don't those tests become more frequent like if you've been caught once are you now tested twice as many times or, or x or is it pretty much just we're just going to keep on testing you well they they don't share the secret sauce okay yeah. with the testes and there's very good reasons yeah, sure. for that sure. okay. um but you know suffice it to say that the the, the testing protocols in the entire format have gotten gotten much more significant much more sophisticated um and not only how they do it but what they're able to detect because sure. there's going to be a cat and mouse game <laughs> 
as long as there's, you know, a good, a, a, as like, long as a good there's chemists these, out there yeah, that, can, that can make something. Well, exactly. They're always trying to put together uh, cocktails in such a way it's undetectable <laughs> or detectable for a sure. very short period so of time. This is, to me, this is a pretty funny story of old timer stuff that happened in the clubhouse because I, I i i know a, a former ball player um who remained nameless for the story but um <laughs> he you know he was in the clubhouse and there was a, a a pot of coffee that was sort of the pot of coffee that was kind of spiked with a little bit of speed and then there's a pot of coffee that's the normal pot of coffee and the players were of course taking if they wanted they, they knew which one was which and they would take their the little bit of a speed thing sometimes and there was a clubhouse attendant who did not know that one of the pots of coffee was spiked and he drank the spiked coffee and he like practically had a seizure. Yeah. I mean, it was, he was fine, right. but he like, he was going out of his mind. Like he, he was like practically Normal human bodies normally. can't, yeah, can't, can't do so that. So he was like, oh my God, so we got to watch this. But that's something that was going on. This is a while ago, you know, and I, you know, I don't know, like they talked about, I guess the greenies or. Well, so you that's, know, the, that's actually a great point. Like, so that is the argument that that's ultimately, I've heard a lot of friends of mine who, cause ultimately what we're all, one of the main points, aside from the fact that, look, steroids shouldn't be in the game because I, as this has been a line I've used a thousand times. I'll probably use it a thousand times again. As much as we're all grown men watching this game, we are watching other grown men wearing pajamas, hitting a ball <laughs> with a stick. This is a game for children. And children watch this game. And when they are using steroids, they're passing on the message to past generations, to the, the, the next generation. Hey, 15-year-old kid on the high school team, you need to take steroids too. So for that reason alone, it should be gone. But that being said, we're also talking now about Hall of Fame stuff and, it's, and the legacy of the game. So you bring up greenies. Whenever people bring up Bonds, Clemens, et cetera, they should be in the, well, Hank Aaron used greenies and so-and-so used greenies. What is your opinion of the differences, if there are differences between what was being used in the 90s versus what was being used in the 60s and 70s? And, and do you think that there should be a distinction in that type of drug policy with Major League Baseball? Well, that's a mouthful of a question, Minis. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Let me try and hit this way. First, all the drugs are dangerous if they're not used as prescribed. Absolutely. The dose, you know, the, the, the dose makes the poison. So you can kill yourself enough greenies or enough steroids or what have you. But they're used for very different purposes, and I think that's why you have different penalties. So the, the, the speed or the greenies or the Adderall, that's largely a function of the fact that these guys play a night game in Seattle, and the next day they're playing a night game in New York, yep. and, and they get tired. So that's used basically for energy to, to, you know, to wake you up. The steroids, though, it's much more pernicious because that really totally alters your body chemistry. Yeah. It gets your muscles out of wax with your tendons. And the most important point you made, Manish, is how this affects, you know, the young kids growing up because steroids are a lot more dangerous being used by a teenager whose body is still developing than, say, a 35-year-old, um, particularly when, you know, He's doing it at some friend's house or what have you. The dosages are whatever they are. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've spoken at a bunch of schools, and I've heard, you know, they, they're, they're using, you know, animal products, bull semen, because steroids <laughs> basically are testosterone at the yeah, end of the sure. day. Yeah. Yeah. So they're using bull semen that they inject. Excuse me. I got to go. <laughs> excuse that, me. I mean, I guess oh. it, it sounds like it might be dangerous, right? And I it would is. think so, yeah. And, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's. 
it's it's incredibly frustrating because we all would like to think, can you just please try and do it somewhat legally? You know, if if you do need a boost, if you do need ADHD, you know, if you've got ADHD, mm -hmm. if you've got, I mean, maybe Major League Baseball needs to look at the scheduling and figure out how do we do it so that yeah, we're not. But you know what? Now that I'm thinking Man, about it, you, these guys like, are on nice planes. I'm telling you, yeah, I'm telling you, I did eight shows a week. I'm, you know, I'm, that's not that's not easy. I promise you. That's and you too, and you tour the country as well. Yes. You, you you've toured yes. the country performing every single night. Here's and, and... here's what works for me. It's an energy drink made by this great company that has guarana green tea and yerba mate. It's got a good amount of healthy caffeine, some antioxidants, some acai. I have my energy was pretty good doing that. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, caffeine. You know, it, it's it's it works. So, Did they drug test you before you went? I know, right? Yeah, probably, you know. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and I, you know, granted, I'm not, I do, I do think part of my attraction to baseball is, is I feel like a kind of weird kindred spirit thing of like, I do think that there's a similarity in some sense to that, the, to the daily grind of being a theater actor and being a, a baseball player. And that sense, oh, yeah. you know, talking to, you know, people I know who have been baseball players. So I do have sympathy for the, for needing sometimes a little bit of a boost when you're feeling tired it, you know but you got to perform but at the same time you know that's that's just the job that sure. is the job sure. when i think you know oh, yeah right, so anthony i think that's a great analogy because just like you had to perform eight eight hours eight, eight times a week for two and a half hours that's exactly what yeah. they have to do yeah. right in yeah. fact they do fewer than eight yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and you get tired sometime but you got to perform but the other thing to remember about these baseball players is not only going in charter planes but these days they also have, you know, they've got a trainer, they've got a physician. Yes. So they got masseuses, right? they've got so, chefs, they've so, got everything. Yeah. And, and so, you know, this this is my beef with say the 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 A rods of the world where they have to go find some, you know, uh, back alley doctor. When in fact, <laughs> in 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 yeah. row three C is one of the best physicians yeah. uh, in the country. Uh -huh. So what yeah. what is going on? I mean, if yeah. if they if if they have issues. Um, they can get appropriate medical help, and the doctor can give yeah. them whatever is ethically and, yeah. and medically appropriate. So they, they, you know, they, they shouldn't be acting as their own physician. Now, curiosity. So in in all of in being in such the middle of such a high profile situation with you know players and all the you know all these people, were you all have you since or during that time or before that time encountered like old older players who were before the steroid era and gotten to talk to them openly about how they feel about all of it we, we did get to to talk to a couple of the old timers and and you know they were pretty uniformly against uh the use of steroids but the one thing they always bring up whenever we talk about this and 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 i've talked to a number of of, of players from the 70s and 80s is they say well, my gosh, you know, when I was playing in the 1970s, I was making 50000 a year or yeah. $75,000 a year, and we were traveling coach. <laughs> and and now, you know, for what they're doing, I, he's, they're saying, I would never take a chance to, you know, to potentially give up a 3 or 5 or $10 million salary. I just don't understand what they're doing. That seems to be the pretty prevalent like response. Just like a pragmatic, purely on a practical, pragmatic level. It, it, it tends to be pretty pragmatic yeah, about it yeah, yeah. and then, but there's always that little you know the, you you hear from the old timers a little bit of resentment and of who course. can blame them in oh, a yeah, way of course that they were making fifty thousand yeah. dollars and if they were doing a day they'd be making five million yeah oh no it's yeah, it's actually it, 
the 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 salaries. I mean, that's a topic that I I don't like to discussing too much because it's just it's it's gotten comically large. You know, when you see two hundred fifty million dollar contracts for a guy that plays thir- thirty two times a year, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, you're playing thirty two games a year and you're getting paid two hundred fifty million dollars. That's but then on the other hand, I always say, well, the money's coming in. I'd rather go to the players and the owners. But when you when you talk about you know comparing the old timers versus the new. I I not, not I'm not defending the new players at all whatsoever. But one thing that the old timers didn't do in the off season was how much training that these guys do. It's so like right now I'm in the process of trying to lose a little bit of weight, lose a little bit of weight. So I'm going to the gym every day, right? It good can for, be good, good for you. <laughs> Thank you. I was I was fishing for that, yeah, so yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. I know I was gonna let the silence hit until someone <laughs> patted me on the back. Um, but I think that these guys now are going to the gym 365 days a year for two, three, four hours at a time. I don't think that's, I don't think they should be doing that first of all, but I think in doing that, I think that's where it does make them that much more focused, exhausted. It changes your mentality when now your, your livelihood is based on getting bigger, getting stronger, getting faster and all that stuff. Then I, I'm not defending it, but I kind of understand why that mentality would come in is, Oh, if I could take just a little bit of this to help me, like we were discussing earlier, recover a little bit faster so I can lift two days in a row as opposed to every other day. And, you know, then I can put on an extra five, six pounds of muscle and I can then even just stay on the field for 162 as opposed to 150 and then increase my salary by $50 million. (laughs) I mean, I guess I... But but then I get into economies of scale. I mean, really, does a $50 million contract really change your life that much more than a $10 million contract? Really, at a certain point? I mean, I guess if you want to buy four yachts, I mean, what <laughs> at a certain point, what yeah, are you going right. to spend the money on? You are, like, you really, are right. Except for bragging rights, I guess. And maybe, yeah, okay, maybe you can buy another two houses. I, I don't know. I, for, I think I, I remember Beltran. I'm not in that position, so what do I know? But it's. I think, and, and don't quote me on this because I might get all this information wrong, but I feel like uh, it was a Beltran contract years ago when he was uh, about to sign with the Mets. And he was, I think, between the Mets and the Astros or something like that. And he was trying to decide between like a $115 million contract and a $120 million contract. <laughs> and, uh, and he took like a month to decide. It's like, what? Oh, this is, this is just, now you're just bragging rights. Now you just want to say I got 120 as opposed yes, to 115. Yeah. I think it's ego. I think that's it. I think it's, I mean, that's what happened with Max, I think, with, with Scherzer. It's, he saw what Granke got. He saw what Verlander got. He saw that and he said, I want a dollar more. I want, you know, I want to make sure that I'm getting, it, it's not about the amount. It's about the bragging rights. It's, I am the highest paid pitcher now in the league. It's just another way of keeping score. I think you're absolutely right, Manish. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger said, you know, um, I have $50 million now, but that doesn't make me any happier than I was when I had $48 million. uh, (laughs) He ought to to know. So after a point, what does the extra 5 or $10 million matter? Well, it matters— if you think you're a better pitcher than the other guy yeah, who's yeah. getting ten million more than you, yeah. then you're unhappy. But, see, um, that's, but that gets into some neuroses, I suppose. We could but say. aren't all baseball players a little bit neurotic? Probably. You kind of have to be Probably. a little bit. Probably. But oh no, he, this is a loaded question. Do you think there will ever be a time in Major League Baseball that there is no steroid abuse? No, I do not. I, and I pose the question more generally. Do you think there will ever be a time in the course of human f- affairs when people don't cheat? 
And the answer is no. When there is an incentive to cheat, and clearly there is huge monetary incentives to cheat, there will be some people who will take that risk. Just as people still cheat on the SATs, there's obviously cheating going on in other sports. Just as Wall Street brokers, some of them cheat to gain an unfair edge in insider trade. As long as there's financial incentives, there will be, you know, human beings who display human frailty and cheat. But I think um, since uh, the, the late, you know, 2006, 2000 time period, I think it's gone down. I think you see it. You don't, you know... Tell me one person out there today who looks like Sammy Sosa did. Yeah. No, yeah. You don't see it. Yeah. So I think they're doing a lot better, but I think it's naive to think the yeah, problem will ever go away. I, we did notice. I'm, I'm noticing, I guess there have always been chunky monkey baseball players, but there, <laughs> there's, there's a few that we saw yesterday on that field that make me laugh just because you got to like – you still got to be a little spry. You got to be like running around a little bit. You know what? What about Kirby? What about Kirby Puckett? What about you know, you know yeah, Cecil no, Fielder? Know. What about we? we I know. I know. There have been chunky a, monkey baseball always, players. There's always yeah. room for the for the rotund. <laughs> it just like, makes me laugh. Yeah. Like, John Crucky said, "I'm oh. not an athlete. I'm a baseball player." <laughs> I love Crucky. I love Crucky. We called him One Nut Cruck when I was a kid because he had the uh, he had yeah, uh, testicular, testicular cancer. cancer. The story that I that was on the playground was he you know had his one testicle removed and then played a, played that night and went two for four. I think that's not true. I think he took a couple of days I off. I think but you would need to. I, no, he, he came back, actually. He came back like pretty quickly, pretty like shockingly fast. But I love I love Crucky. I think he is fantastic. So now, were, I, I had a question about uh, Mr. Ripken. Yes. Um, were you at the game where he beat, where he did the streak? Of course. Know? Yeah, <laughs> I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I was up in Boston on business, and I flew back because uh, I, like I mean, you. I just couldn't miss that game. There's yeah. just no way. And and remember, as I pointed out, there wasn't a whole lot else going on in Orioles land uh, yeah. during that yeah. period of time. So yeah. we had to take our our excitement where we could find it. You know, uh, you mentioned earlier, and I'm glad that you did. That I keep hearing all this nonsense about oh, well, steroids brought the fans back to baseball. So I was one of the fans in 1994 that said, done. I, I'm done with this sport. You chintzy little players out there who are, are you know, asking for whatever. I was young. I was dumb. I didn't know any better. Yeah. I, I'm, I a, I'm a proud member of a couple unions, so it's always like it's always <laughs> part of me, you know? I was so too. Like, I was, you know, I was a little bit too young to fully comprehend the complexities of it all. And so, just as a young kid, I was like, eh, "Why are you doing that? I wanted my baseball. You're taking my baseball away from me. I'm mad at you. I'm not coming back." Cal Ripken, Jr., and another junior, Ken Griffey. Those are the two that brought me back in spades. More mm-hmm. so Griffey than Ripken, but but both. I mean, I I remember, you know. I, for whatever reason, in my young brain, I was never really a fan of Cal Ripken Jr. And then kind of that year, I jumped on that bandwagon and started appreciating him more and, and appreciating his legacy a little bit more. And then Jr., just Ken Griffey, was, was my idol growing up. And, and I honestly believe that the Yankees, 96, you know, 98, 99, 2000 franchise, I think that had a lot more to do with bringing the casual fan back to baseball than the home run. Yes, the home run, the 98 series undoubtedly was massive. But I think in the long term, to really bring baseball back to where it is today, which today, Selig used to always tout, and I'm sure Manfred's going to tout that every year we're breaking attendance records and the TV contract dollars are through the roof and blah, 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 blah. I think that it has a lot to do with that Yankee team. 
I think that that is when the Yankees are doing well, as much as we all hate to admit it, but when the Yankees are doing well, <laughs> that's when the folks interested. You, you'd like people to watch but the, the cool Royals. the thing about those Yankees is that they were, they were homegrown players. And that's that they it. weren't. And the, that was actually they, a yeah. good team. Right. With, with Jorge, with Jeter, with, you know, I mean, a, yeah, it's just, it's with, with a young Mariano, with all them, that was, and for the most part, I don't think they had too many guys that ended up, I mean, we don't, we have no idea, obviously, but I don't think there Maybe were too Ruben many yeah, mm-hmm. but I don't think they had too many juiced up guys on well, there. They brought Clemens back. They yeah. brought, uh, which do you have any interesting <laughs> anecdotes about that lovely gentleman? <laughs> well, I, I I sat next to him uh, at a hearing, um, and on the other side was the uh, um, was his trainer Brian McNamee, who yeah. had who had uh, provided him with the the steroids, which of course Roger denied. Um, but basically, I was put there as sort of a, a potted plant to keep these two guys apart so they didn't, like, start strangling each other. Yeah. Um, and it was like the worst middle seat you ever had on an airplane. Yeah, yeah. Um, It was just um, the, the tension between these two guys was palpable. Yeah. And the other thing is Roger was just clearly so incredibly nervous about what, what was going on. Um, you know, one of our beefs with Roger is one of the things we're, we're still sort of can't figure out why he wasn't convicted of perjury is Roger uh, told, um, let's see, R- Roger told 60 Minutes that he was aware that um, he had uh, been asked by Senator Mitchell, by our team, to give his side of the story before we published the report saying that he had used steroids, according to McNamee. Um, and then he went and gave a uh, deposition sworn under oath before Congress, saying he was never told oh, about that that he had an opportunity to um, tell George Mitchell his side of the story, and and you know because Roger said if I had known I would have told George Mitchell that McNamee was a liar. Well, he was either lying on sixty minutes or he was lying uh, to Congress. Yeah. So it was one or the other. But they but the judge would not let the sixty minutes piece into evidence because they said it was based on attorney client privilege. Oh, his, wow. his attorneys told him not to talk to Mitchell, which, you know, I never uh, you know, a lot of things about law can be debated. That's obviously a ruling. That's one I never understood in terms of why the jury didn't get to hear that. You might have had a different result. That is fascinating. But did you ever, so did you ever have any kind of like direct one-on-one with him at all? The closest I ever get to Roger was at that, at that at hearing. That, literally, we yeah. repeatedly asked to speak to Roger. We did it through the union because that yeah. was the rules of the union. And, you know, it, 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 you, you <laughs> can appreciate the union rules and there's good reasons yeah, sure, sure. for them. I mean, I think the baseball union is a fair amount more powerful than the actors union yeah. in many respects. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. Well, let's just say the average salary of the players yes. union is $3 million. And, yes. um, that's not, and, and that's yes. probably more lucrative than most unions that you and I are familiar of course, with. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, but Roger was asked repeatedly to give his side of the story. Um, and each time we got a letter back from the union saying that he declined along with Many others, yes. because we were published the names of, you know, over 85 people in the yeah. report. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I think back to the, the very, very famous thing of him charging Mike Piazza with the broken bat thing. And that, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, I know that people on steroids are exceptionally aggressive, and that seemed exceptionally aggressive, but I don't know. Who knows? You know, what? Well, that, that's a classic incident that you look back with a different 
yeah. uh, mindset yes. about it, and, and you view through a different a different prism. And also the fact that you know, as a Cubs fan, he when he went back to the Astros after you know, like he was in his later declining years, and he was getting faster, you know, which just is contrary to every the evidence of decades and decades and decades and decades and decades of history you know so these are the things that 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 you know that sure, but, and, but in fairness to roger let's remember if if you stopped his career a day before the first documentation that he used steroids of course he was he's a hall of fame of course player. of course of course and that's that that we we talked about this earlier i think i can't remember if it was on or off the microphone but barry bonds sammy sosa we're having quite wonderful careers leading up to the point where it seems like they started, you know, altering their body chemistry, they very well probably absolutely would have been an A-Rod. And all these, you know, Clemens, these players who were having exceptional careers without the help of these things. And I guess they just think they needed to become le capital L legendary status. And I don't even know. It's a very strange well, thing I, to I, see I know, from the outside. I, you know, I, I've seen with Bonds, I've, I've seen some snippets of, of, interviews with him and also i've talked to some of the writers who have have privately talked to him and uh, i'm not divulging anything you know confidential but one of the things that he has said and i think he said these things publicly is that when he saw mcguire and sosa in 98 mm -hmm. and he saw all the adulation and he saw all the you know these two guys the greatest homer and he just got you know Basically, jealous is the right word, but just kind of like, this is ridiculous. I'm clearly better than them. I know I'm better than them. Fine. They're doing it. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it better than them. Yeah. And obviously he did. I mean, what he ended up doing from 01 to 04, it's, it's so sad because it's like that's – when you say video game numbers, I'm not that good at video games. Like, I can't – those are – insane those are video game numbers on the rookie level like those are the yeah. easiest it's it's unbelievable what he did for those three years and and of course he still had to have great eye hand coordination that's the and point is that that's that's the whole point of what i'm trying to say is that like, when guys like sosa and mcguire did it they it took above average players and made them into great players when you take an already great player you made him into a figment of my imagination. You <laughs> you turned him into the version of me in the backyard, the version of all of us in the backyard yeah. who are always up in the bottom of the seventh inning with the bases loaded and two outs, and we hit the grand slam every time. That's what we we all visualized it and created it in Barry Bonds. Yeah, I think Barry Bonds, if if my memory serves, the the two thousand and one year. I don't know the exact statistic, but something like he only swung and missed sixty times all year. Yeah, and and that is just. Well, when Ridiculous. you look at his, when you look at his, it's, I think it was, it must have been 03, I think, because it was uh, Ichiro, um, whatever Ichiro's first year was, and he and he broke the the record, I think like 200 and some odd, some 262 or whatever single season hits. It was a little, I think it was four, four or five. It was, yeah, it was around. It was time. around yeah. that time, yeah. but they both won. I think he won the batting title in AL, and Bonds won the batting title in the NL, and I think there was a difference of like. 80 plus hits or like a massive amount of hits but it's just bonds would walk and he would he would yes. you know hit but he would just he would always be on base right and it's it's i mean those are the things when he had more intentional walks than yes. entire teams and <laughs> yes. everybody else yes. combined he was doing the babe ruth stuff from the 20s of he had more home runs than everybody but with walks and it's because i mean they walked him with their bases loaded they walked him with and it's because <laughs> yes. you had to yes. it's 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 <laughs> and it's such a shame because of now yes it is uh, those records are are never 
ever, ever, those now may as well be Cy Young's 500-plus wins or, you know, Nolan Ryan's 5,000-plus strikeouts. They are now officially untouchable records for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Well, you never know because there, there's things baseball can do. I mean, they can lower the mound and people well, yeah, start hitting yeah. 75 homers a year, right? Sure, sure. and you can make a 200-game season or whatever. Yeah, of course, there's but without fundamentally changing some of the game aspects of the game, I mean, it's those are, mm-hmm. they're done. It was a couple weeks ago or maybe a little longer that uh, it was the anniversary of Hank Aaron's um, when he set the record. Yeah. And and uh, on Twitter, somebody linked to Vince Scully, Vince Scully called that. And it was it was really amazing to to take that little you know time time travel trip to to Damn. that moment because there I mean yeah I know it's easy for me to look with rose colored glasses because I wasn't alive and all that stuff um, or maybe I was alive I don't remember what you, year you yeah you I was alive, alive but I wasn't aware it was of like it like seventy four seventy five yeah yeah I mean I was a tiny yeah. tiny child but but to to see this moment where. I mean, I do believe, and I, all evidence shows that Hank. Of course, it was totally legitimate what he did, and and but compounded with the fact that he was playing in a very different era, when to be an African American was totally different in this game, and that he still and all the nonsense he had to put up with around the death threats and everything because he, you know he was supplanting Babe Ruth's record. It was just such a there was there was a the, the sense of the purity of that moment was really invigorating to to witness even all these years later. Yeah, well, I first I still remember watching that moment on TV, uh, and somebody ran out and tried to, a fan tried to ran yeah ran yeah. out and two guys came and, yeah and hug him yeah round second and third and, yeah. and everybody on TV <laughs> cognizant of the death threats and thinking oh my God what's yep. about to happen and of course the police pulled these these kids off and they yeah were but harmless. they were just trying to cheer they were just, they, 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 they were, were like hugging him yeah. and but you know the whole I think Anthony why your point is so important is because. That moment was so infused with dignity yeah. because everything Aaron had to overcome as somebody who grew up in the South, was yeah. subject to death threats because of the color of his skin, yeah. um, and just sort of labored through it um, and, and, and somehow continued to perform on the field at the highest of levels. Into, that, his, into his 40s, yeah. too. Like, it's, yeah. it's, what, he was, was a amazing. special guy. And then you see somebody like Bonds who <laughs> breaks records by cheating – and it's just, it, it just, you know, d- demeans that everything that, that Hank Aaron stands for. And I have to mention one other thing about Hank. He's, he's a big hero of mine because when my daughter graduated from college in 2011, Hank got an, an honorary degree from that college that year. And and here's a guy who, you know, grew up poor, I think, in Alabama. Yeah. And and then he ends up getting a, uh honorary degree at Princeton University, That's I mean, which is yeah. really just – an incredible testament to, you know, what he means to America. You know, when I was on my uh, stadium tour, uh, when I, my, my stop in Milwaukee uh, was a couple of weeks after Braun had gotten popped for uh, his suspension, his final suspension there. And so they were qu- trying to do quite a bit of things to kind of give back to the fans and, you know, sorry, please come back. Please come to the stadium, even though our superstar is gone. So they had Robin Yount Appreciation Day. So now these, my tickets for this game were the best seats I've ever sat in my entire life. I was first row behind home plate. It was wonderful. So I'm sitting 10 feet away from Robin Yount and Raleigh Fingers is there. And, you know, it's, it's a fun celebration. So before the game, I'm talking to these two old timers sitting next to me, these two 90 plus year old men who, when I sat down, they're like, hey, who are you? Why do you have these seats? Because they're like, oh, these, these are my daughter and, and her husband's. And I was like, well, you know, I, I bought them online. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, 
what do you know about baseball? You know, they're, they're really kind of ribbing me a little bit. And they're, you know, like, what are, what are you doing, young gun? You don't know anything. And so we're talking, we're chatting, and, and it, it's fun. I, I feel like I'm getting them on my side a little bit and convincing them that I'm kind of a baseball fan. And so the ceremony's happening, and Bob Euchre, oh, greatest man <laughs> on the planet, gets on the loudspeaker and says, ladies and gentlemen, we have one more surprise for you. And I look over to the dugout, and coming out of the dugout, is Hank Aaron. Mm, that's great. And he walks 10 feet in front of me. Now, I took the best picture I've ever taken in my life of Hank Aaron. I'm going to put it up on the on the website, clubhousepodcast.com, for people to check out. I'll show it to you after uh, after we record here. But So Hank is walking 10 feet in front of me, and these two 90-year-old men come out of their shoes, and they are bouncing, and they are giddy, and they're going, it's Hank! It's Hank! Do you remember when we watched him? Blah, blah. Like, it was, they turned into... Eight-year-old kids like this. It was the the sweetest thing. It was, and and that's Hank right there. And then last year, I'm watching the Giants parade, (laughs) and I'm seeing Mr. Bonds on the back of a car, and he's smiling and he's waving. And I don't think anybody cares. You know, I don't think I I don't think I don't think in in forty years we're gonna have two ninety-year-old men. Saying, oh, that's Bonds. Do you remember seeing Bonds? I remember being blah, blah, blah. I don't think yeah. he's going to have that. Yeah. Well, and Bonds is a complex, complex package to unpack because sure. even before the steroids business, he generally had a reputation as being a pretty surly, unfriendly guy, um, you know, did not comport himself with, you know, uh, a Hank Aaron type personality, yeah. so he's or, doing or, or Ernie Banks, who you know, well, Ernie was good. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, and, like... and, and and I think we also have to remember if we look back to our, our rose-colored classes. I mean, H- Hank Aaron was a hero of mine. Frank Robinson, Brooks Robinson, but they while they weren't making the big money, they were fortunate that they did not grow up in the era of Twitter and Instagram because <laughs> that's true. Nobody has any privacy anymore, and so we know all of our heroes, you know, warts and foibles. Back then, the the upside of making fifty grand a year is that there weren't people who were shooting cameras into your window uh, in the middle of the night. <laughs> yes. No, that is that is actually <laughs> very very true. Um, did you? I mean, did you work a lot with with Bonds at all? Did you? Bon, bon, we we reached out to Bonds. We reached out to everybody in that case. Remember, while we were doing this, there were crimi- There was a criminal investigation. Right, oh, right, right. right. Yeah. So everybody there was remaining quiet, except when, you know, Bonds went in and testified in the grand jury, which uh, mm. <laughs> he just had his conviction reversed for the day before last. You may have seen that. But, I did see that. But because of the pending criminal proceedings, everybody who was involved in that Balco case wasn't talking at that time. Yeah, yeah. So we had to come up with our information from other sources. Yeah. No, so and through all of the thick and thin of your investigation and everything, obviously you still love baseball. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean— and, and, you know, I felt in that, that working for Senator Mitchell, I was on the side of the Angels because it's such a great game to protect. And we talk about the strike. Yeah. My feeling was always baseball was such a good game. No matter what, it would come back and claim its yeah. rightful place in American culture just as it has. Yeah. And all through the steroid, I thought this is a terrible problem. It has to be eradicated. But... But baseball is a great game, and it'll survive this just like it survived the Black Sox scandal, (laughs) and it survived World Wars and everything else. Um, Baseball is baseball. And like I said, my biggest fear now for baseball isn't steroids or anything like that. It's that 
we've got to make sure the young kids connect with this game like like my generation did. And But I think they're doing a lot of good things via social media and via, most importantly, they're speeding the game up. You are a man after my own heart. I'm telling you, you are inside my brain. You are, are I could not agree with you more. I'm sorry that you're inside his brain. <laughs> it's a scary place to be. It's a little scary in here. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. It keeps things interesting. All right, so now... I'm I'm feeling a little bit uh, ashamed of myself here because like I said I feel like I'm just gonna be well you know what? I don't want to I don't want to you're putting too much pressure I on me. just want to say it. you know what I am but here we go so basically here is you know what you're better at explaining the rules than I am would you like to explain the I'll rules explain. of so our the, trivia the game? the rules of the trivia game we've set it up so that you know the first the first uh, batter at the plate is the first question and if you get the question right you get a single okay. right and then the second question is a double which you will at least get the runner to third depending on you know we sometimes we decide if it's like it's he's a, you know i'm the umpire in this if he gets it all the way home the yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and then similarly the third question would be a triple and fourth question would be a home run so you could get up to four runs for the orioles you're the first guest that we've had who's an orioles fan so we're like keeping track of the different fan you know the different teams that each one of our guests represents so we've had cubs mets yankees and now orioles so anyway we we don't have a lot of runs scored yet. The Mets like, are in the lead right now with two runs scored. Yeah. So, so you have a chance to really. Well, while I do better on questions that relate to issues that happened before 1980. But uh, uh oh. Well, <laughs> well, let's see what happens. <laughs> we'll see what happens here. Okay. So, leading off for the Baltimore Orioles, playing first base, number 20 in your programs, Charles Sheeler. Uh, all right. So this is for for a for a single. What stadium did the Orioles play their first home game in? Memorial Stadium. All right. Man on first. Yeah, man on first. Clean single right up the middle. So just to give you a little bit of a trivia. Not a dribbler. One. Not no, a single. No, no, no. That's a clean, clean single. Bang. After playing the first two games on the road uh, in, that, in your inaugural season in Detroit, they split that series. So, you know. You're welcome for giving you the first win in Orioles uh, history. Uh, this isn't a question. I'm just letting you know. Uh, but they opened up Memorial Stadium after a 90-minute parade, and there was a record crowd of 46,354 people, and you beat the Chicago White Sox 3-1. to one. So pretty good home opener for you guys. What year was that? I 54. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I forgot to write that down, but I don't need to. All right, so this is going to be for a double. And you know what? Since you got 54, the man is, you got a pretty big jump off of first base there. So here's a, got a good lead. Here's, yeah. here's your double question. All right. Who was the Orioles' first pitcher to throw a no-hitter in 1958? I'm, I'm thinking Hoyt Wilhelm, but I don't think it was him. Uh, but I can't think of... Oh, I, I'll go with Hoyt Wilhelm. You're correct. Oh. Hoyt Wilhelm against the New York Yankees. The Orioles won one to nothing. I think that, that scores a runner. It from absolutely first. scores a runner. From it's first. a screaming that double off the top of the wall. A gapper. And then it's got a weird ricochet. <laughs> <laughs> well, so he, even though the even though the batter isn't a particularly fast runner, he's got plenty of time to to like stand right, up. And so the in Orioles are on the board. Oh my goodness. Okay. So this is for a triple. So the man's on second now. Dancing a little bit off. Dancing mm -hmm. a little bit, trying but he's, to get. But he's, he's a lumber. He's a lumberer. He's more of a lumberer. Yeah, trying to get the pitchers close to the bag because I have confidence in the guy at the plate. There you okay. go. <laughs> Who was the first Oriole to lead the American League in runs batted in? So this is either Jim Gentile or Frank Robinson. Uh, I'm going to go with Frank Robinson. Sadly, that is your first out. Ah. I can give you a hint, though. But this might not help you. Okay. 
He was also the first player to hit for the cycle in an Orioles uniform. So he was the first Oriole to have hit was for the cycle. Was it Jim Gentile? No. Brooks Robinson. Out number two. Oh, there we go. So we got another run on the board. The it man was, is yes. now on third with two outs. Okay, so I can tell you if it was, it was, it was Brooks. Uh-huh. 1964. Was that the last question? No, but that's he got it right. And yeah. I mean, how do you? I, okay, now I wouldn't be able to do this. Neither would I. And <laughs> so, I mean, this what? is he, okay. Here's he, I'm gonna he, do he's some, looking at his iPhone. It's 1964. See if he didn't hit 316. Oh no, I, no, that, no, okay. I don't have. I wrote this okay. down. But if okay. he did write through, I'll I'll look it up afterward. And you say 316. No, 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 three, six, no, actually, forget that. That's what Frank hit in 66. There okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my yeah. goodness! Well, but, I mean, do you, but do Brooks you, did win the MVP that year. We finished uh, yep, third, and he won the MVP, and he hit for the cycle on July fifteenth, nineteen sixty. Oh my goodness! I mean, that's I, I'm, and here is this is the first time okay. I think we've gotten to the home run. Yeah, my father's so, going to be mad at me. So, we got, so we, <laughs> Brooks, his dad's going to be mad. So at you me. have you have one out left. Okay, right? okay, so, and you got a man on third, two outs, and yeah. you got two runs in, and you could get two more right now. This is your chance. All right, All right. so. The Baltimore Orioles moved to Baltimore from St. Louis in 1954. Where did they play before playing in St. Louis? Oh, sheesh. Uh, this is just a wild guess. I don't know, Philadelphia. No. no. You're, 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 you stranded a runner on third, but you had a very good, you had a very good inning. That was, was a very it? good inning. So this is a really, I didn't even know this history, so I'm learning, as, I'm learning on the podcast yeah? myself, but it's actually kind of cool. So Milwaukee... The Brewers, hmm. the Orioles were called the Browns when they played in St. Louis, and they shared a ballpark with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. They were called the Milwaukee Brewers in 1901, the only season of their existence. So the Brewers coming back to Milwaukee was like a recall to that many, many years later? Basically, yes. Yeah. yeah. Even though they were an expansion team, yeah. they basically used the same name and from that, 1901. And literally the one season. One, they played for one season. That's amazing. That's oh, why it's the home run that, question, though. That's yeah. why it's the home run question. That's a grand slam question. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, it's a home run question because we want to, you know, we can't get, you know, we got to make it a little bit difficult. It's tough. I feel very, very bad about the Brooks thing. Brooks. You absolutely should not feel bad. You you got deeper into this than anybody we've had so far. That was, uh, that was insanely impressive. Wow, that was fun. All right, so the way we normally end our podcast, which, by the way, we may end up splitting this up into two parts because we have gone much longer because I, I, as I've told you now several times, I could sit and talk to you for days about baseball. You are absolutely my favorite person to talk to right now. Normally what we ask is independent of, you know, big moments or, or I don't care about world series and that stuff, but in your mind, what is your favorite memory? The quintessential memory in your mind of being an Orioles fan whether it's being at a game, whether it's watching it at home with your dad, with your kids, with your wife, with whoever it is, what is the one moment that if I said what quantifies your love as a Orioles fan, what would that be? I think that's pretty easy. I think that's the first time that I worked in, walked into the first World Series game with my dad in 1966, and I was nine years old. The... Uh, Dodgers had been huge favorites because they had a staff that included Don Drysdale and Sandy Kovacs. But in uh, they played the first two in L.A. and we won the first two. And in the, the Sandy Kovacs' last game was Jim Palmer's first World Series shutout. We won six nothing and we came back for Game Three, and we won that one to nothing. And 
being nine years old and seeing all these incredible baseball players in the field in a World Series that I'd only seen on TV was just um, my eyes lit up, and uh, I was I was a baseball fan forever at that point. It's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. You're gonna make me cry. I mean, it that was almost forty years ago, and and the vivid detail that you can remember that you know the the I'm sure if you close your eyes, like you could you could put yourself right back in into that you know. I, I can still see in my mind's eye, and the, the shame of it is I can't remember where I put my car keys 10 minutes ago. <laughs> see? You know, that's it's seared. It's seared into your soul, yeah. That's why we love this game. And, and by the way, we set a record that will never be broken uh, in that 66 World Series because, let's see, it was uh, about 32 innings in a row we held the Dodgers without a run. Um, shut them out the last three games as well as about the last six innings of game one. So think about it. That'll never get better. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this is, I'm, this has been really, really fun. Anthony, any, uh, last no, words just, And here? thank you for all, you know, your many contributions. They've made a huge difference. I think that most people who love this game would have to agree with that. Yeah. And like I said, you know, it's, it's, We've all, as baseball fans, all of us have followed the steroid nonsense for the last, you know, well over a decade now. And, you know, I know I wasn't alone in thinking at the beginning that maybe bringing congressional hearings might be a little bit silly. But now after sitting down and talking to you and seeing the passion that you have and seeing that, that you know, you are not trying to make headlines. You are not trying to become famous. You're not trying to build your career off of someone else's back. You love this sport and you want to see this sport thrive and succeed a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now. And like Anthony said, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the amazing work you have done. It's just, thank you. You know, the game is so much better because of you. Well, thank you. I mean, I do love the game and uh, baseball has given me a lot of pleasure in my life. And, uh, um, you know, I'm glad I've been fortunate to be around it. Well, that's going to wrap up another episode. And uh, we will see you all next time here in the clubhouse. That wraps up our conversation with Charles Sheeler. But here's some pretty cool trivia for you HBO fans out there. Before he became the lawyer who cleaned up baseball, Charles spent some time as a federal prosecutor. His convictions included the criminals from season one of The Wire. That's right, the real-life Avon Barksdale, Stringer Bell, and even Omar all faced off against Charles in the courtroom and lost. So thank you, Charles, for all of your contributions, both in and out of baseball. There is still a little more show to go. After back-to-back -back games in D.C. and Baltimore, Anthony and I quietly give our final thoughts on Nationals Park and Camden Yards as we ride home on an Amtrak train and try not to bother the other passengers. All right, now Anthony and I are on the train back to New York City after our first, our first of many baseball trips we'll be doing this summer so anthony let's wrap it up a little bit what did you think of the first two parks on the tour well it was a study in contrast it was like um not i wouldn't call washington's park being having zero personality but you know minimal personality next to one of the most um baseball pure places on the planet so it was that was a huge contrast, and then huge contrast in the in the fan experience. You know, being sitting among the Nationals fans was tremendously different than sitting among the Orioles fans. The Orioles fans had so much spirit and energy and attention being paid to the game, and 
cheering their team on and all the things and the nationals fans were it was almost like they could have cared less i mean they got a little riled up when there was like an error but it was still it was a close game at nationals park and it was a close game at camden yards and by the two reactions you you would have thought that the first game was like a blowout or something because no one was engaged you know yeah you know as, as we've now discussed several times and we, we talked to people at Camden about it as well. You know, DC is, I think it's a young franchise with, and, and Charles, our, our guest in Baltimore, uh, mentioned the fact that there aren't just a lot of transplants in DC who may not have the Nationals as their home team as of yet. And so maybe the Nationals are just a little bit too young and, and they need to mature into a, a rabid fan base. You know, it's just tough when you're, when you're the team to beat uh, you know, when we're in the team that everyone is, has told you in spring training, you're going to win the World Series, and you get off to kind of the sluggish start that they have started to, maybe maybe that has something to do with it, where there's a bit of apathy already, where it's like, oh, here we go again. You know, the Nationals have been picked to win the, the World Series for the last couple of years now. And ever since Strasburg and Harper came up, there was a lot of excitement. You know, when I was at my stadium tour in, in D.C. a couple of years ago, I felt there was a lot more excitement in that stadium than it was this time. I was actually pretty surprised at the difference between this is my first game back in DC in a couple of years now. And uh, it was, it was eerily silent. It was eerily apathetic. And, and um, that's a bit of a shame because I do think that DC deserves a baseball team. I worked very hard when I was living in DC to help bring a baseball team to DC. We haven't really talked about that too much, but when I was working for ESPN, I actually was, was involved with bringing the team back to DC. And, you know, it's, maybe they just need to win a playoff series and, and that will get them up and running. Cause the, cause the folks in Baltimore, who doggy, they were really, you know, the, the chance of Manny, Manny, Manny were exciting. Yeah, there was there was fun heckling. I mean, it was oh, just like great heckling, uh, clever heckling. Yeah, That's the beauty yeah. of it. Uh, there there was a drunken man to our left who was screaming one four five at Mike Napoli. Is one four five? Mm -hmm. uh, 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 you know, just screaming his batting average to him while he was in the field. And we're sitting, you know, ten feet away from him, so you can you can hear every last syllable of that one four five. It's very funny. Um, I also, uh, I don't know, you know, they had Max Scherzer on the mound for the Nationals, and he's their big dude, and he pitched very well. You know, if they score a couple runs, he wins, you know. Not only did he play, he pitched very well, but he also hustled and got on base uh, uh, on an error and then hustled from first to third on a base hit to center. So he, as much as I, you know, Anthony and I are talking, I'm kind of the jilted ex-lover in this scenario with Mac, with my Maxi leaving the Tigers, but he did what he does, and he pitched brilliantly, and he tried to put a bat on the ball the way and, and, and contribute in every way he could. And, you know, as, as Anthony and I have said, you know, when, when, when the Nationals were walking back into the dugout, there was just a sense of eh, just another day at the office. There, there really was no intensity that we could see, even out of a guy like Bryce Harper, who has been accused of being maybe too intense. You know, it, it was, you know, Machado last night when he struck out, you know, with the bases loaded, that helmet was being smashed. <laughs> and and when Harper the night before, I think he came up in a, a run scoring opportunity in the late innings, he struck out and just walked back to the bench and casually took his gloves off and, you know, put his glove back on and here we go. It's 
So look, we get it. It's 162 games. You can't be up for every single game, mm -hmm. but you're playing the Cardinals. You know, it's it's it's. Uh, this is a team that you you maybe had some issues with in the playoffs in the past. Mm -hmm. So you'd like to maybe show them that hey, we're better than you right now. But we just didn't see it. But I think that's enough about Camden and and uh, DC. Are there any specific? parks that you are really looking forward to because now we've got uh, 15 more to go over the course of the next couple of months and are there any parks that you're really saying ah, I can't wait till we get to here or you know Cooperstown is coming up in a couple weeks as well. Cooperstown is very exciting um, I'm really I'm really excited to see Seattle I don't there's something I mean I think it's such a beautiful city and uh, I love I always love going to the Pacific Northwest so um, that should be very nice I think and um, but that's not for a while Denver, I think that that'll that's beautiful. Going to be quite beautiful, Coors Field. Um, and uh, I've heard good things about Cincinnati, like that it's a very nice ballpark. Um, you know, so yeah, those those are all those are some of the ones that are that I'm particularly looking forward to. And of course, Comerica. I mean, you know, you have to, you know, I have to. <laughs> I was going to say, well, I, didn't, I didn't hear you say that one, but you know, I think Comerica is really the one at the top of your list. It's at the top of my list, Manish. <laughs> he said that without any prodding, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it. When I was on tour with Rent a few years ago, we were in all these cities, and there were like five of us backstage and on stage that were big baseball fans and would have loved to have gone to games in any one of these cities. But of course, the way the scheduling worked out, we were touring during the spring and summer, but almost all the teams were out of town when we were in their city. So I got to walk past a couple of these ballparks, and they looked nice on the outside, but I didn't get to experience you know, the inside. So I'm looking forward to that. Too. You know, putting a tour together like this is a lot more complicated than, than people, I think, realize because of what you just said. You know, the way the Major League Baseball schedule works, and especially now with interleague happening every day, there really doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason as to when these guys are home and when they're away. So, you know, this is what I offered this when I did my stadium tour. If anybody out there is listening right now and they want to do a stadium tour like this, whether it's in one summer or over the course of several summers, listen, shoot us an email at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com or tweet us in at, at clubhousepod. I will help you do whatever it is you need to do to get your tour up and running because I would love if every single baseball fan out there could see all 30 parks and anything I can do, anything I can do to help please shoot me an email, tweet at us. I'll be there for you. I'll help you plan it. I'll help you figure out where to go when you're in the cities. You know, just, you need to see all the part, all the 30 parks. I'm having the time of my life once again. It's, mm. this has been an amazing two days and I cannot wait for the rest of the summer. Thank you. <laughs> I think he said that well. We are now gonna let the, our, our passengers on this Amtrak train get some sleep. So we will see you next time here in the clubhouse. Bye-bye. The home base for the clubhouse podcast is the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse located on 67 East 11th Street in New York City. If you consider yourself to be a baseball fan, and I'm assuming if you've made it this far, you must be, you have no excuse for not dropping by and checking out the fantastic baseball-inspired artwork and one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale. Mention the podcast to get a free bag tag with any purchase. The Clubhouse is produced by Zach McNeese. The website and logo were designed by Ronan Jora. Please subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. That makes it easier for other folks to find out about the podcast. Leave us a comment telling us what your favorite ballpark is, and Anthony and I will read them on the show. Follow the show on Twitter, at ClubhousePod. You can follow Anthony and I individually, at RoundingThirdMJ for me, and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. 
for guest ideas, baseball stories, or just to say hello, shoot us an email at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.